social networks can make you feel connected to a global society. But these social networks are controlled by a corporate entity. The profit motivations of the corporation are not directly aligned with the experience of the users. Mastodon is an open-source, decentralized social network. Eugen Rochko started building Mastodon in response to his dissatisfaction with centralized social networks like Facebook and Twitter. In the Mastodon model, users can run their own nodes, and other users can connect to them. You can follow users whose accounts reside in other nodes. This model is the federated social network model. Eugen joins the show to discuss how Mastodon works and how its thousands of users interact on the platform. We explore the open source community that is building Mastodon, and we speculate on the future of social networks. I want to quickly mention before we get started, Software Daily is a place to post your own software projects and discuss them with other people. We built SoftwareDaily.com with our own open source community, and you can come be a part of that at github.com slash softwareengineeringdaily. And with Software Daily, you can find collaborators and feedback for your own software project. If you have an open source application or a side project or a computer science paper that you're writing, and you want to get feedback from software engineers, come to softwaredaily.com, post your project. We'd love to see what you're building. And with that, let's get on with this episode, an interview with Eugen Rochko. Eugen Rochko is the creator of Mastodon. Eugen, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hi. So Mastodon, in the simplest terms, is an open source decentralized social network. Explain why you started working on Mastodon. I was frustrated with the other options. I was a heavy Twitter user since 2008, and so that format was really close to my heart, but the platform was increasingly becoming bad from a technical side and from a social side as well. And so at some point, I just started looking for other options because as a software developer, I always had an interest in, in open source software and in various things that are more complicated, I guess. So I heard about federated social networks a long time ago, back in 2012, when they just started Essentially, that was the time when Google itself was interested in pursuing open standard standards for social networking. It was before Google Plus. It was the time of Google Buzz, if you remember that artifact. I do. So, so yeah, that, that was the first time I learned about them. And, well, they, they didn't look particularly attractive back then. So I just put that back to the back of my mind and went on with my life. And then in 2016, I was just became curious what happened to that. And given all the circumstances, I decided to contribute. But instead of contributing to an existing uh, piece of software like GNU Social, I decided to basically just start from scratch because it was more interesting. And as a Ruby developer, I wasn't super hyped about contributing to a PHP code base that was started in 2012. Well, we will get into the design of Mastodon Let's talk a little bit about the problems of the social networks that you were starting to identify back in, you started this in, what year was it? 
2016. 2016. So back in 2016. So we were starting to see problems of social networks back then. They've obviously become more acute today. What are the problems of the closed source, centralized social networks? I mean, it was clear for me for a while that something like Twitter is supposed to be a public utility because, you know, it's just like the telephone, you know, you're supposed to be able to talk to anybody. And the fact that, that something like that belonged to a commercial company that had you know, it's it's not just that it is commercial company. It's also a company with a history of mismanagement, and with a company with with a looming doom. Essentially, for 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 the longest time, Twitter had like the prospects of being bought out by Disney or or closing down or you know these things. So I was just thinking, what happens if Twitter like disappears? Like this will cripple online communications in a way. So. I, th- I think that's the main problem. Hmm. Well, when we use a closed source, centralized social network like Twitter, it may seem like a public utility, but there is a lot of work that goes into the hosting of it. There's the, the, the reliability of the service. That's not easy to accomplish. And in return for that, Twitter gets to serve ads to us. This seems like a fair trade. There's something complex to do. Twitter takes care of that. And in return, they get to monetize us through advertising. Why would I want to have a different exchange? Well, is that really an ethical way to monetize, though? Because it's, you're not exactly, it's not exactly clear what you're giving away in this exchange. It's not, it's not a straightforward exchange like, I'm giving you $5 and you provide me a service. It's more like... You get to use my service for free, and I completely exploit everything that you do. I make models of your behavior. I sell it to anybody I like. I I try to predict your behavior to manipulate you into buying more products that you don't need, etc., etc. So advertising-based monetization is not necessarily a thing that's friendly for the consumer. More to your point of starting something... I think, you know, my my devil's advocate argument probably overestimates how hard it is to run something like Twitter these days. You know, all due respect to to Twitter, but it's not that hard to run that kind of social network these days at a bare minimum level of reliability and the the system that you've developed is is something that's somewhat different and has a, a, a I think a more granular level of reliability depending on what node or what collection of nodes we're talking about being reliable because people can stand up their own partitions of Mastodon. I think we can start getting into to a discussion of the architecture of Mastodon, but I guess before that we should talk a little bit about like what the user experience is. So Mastodon, like we said, it's open source decentralized social network. Describe the basic onboarding experience for an average new user who is getting started with Mastodon. When you're getting started, you the first step is deciding which server to to pick, which server to to become your home essentially. I'll give that it's a complicated step. It's a step that confuses a lot of people because it is new. It's not that new because you know, everybody has an email address and at some point they had to pick an email server. 
And this is essentially the same thing. Now, you could talk about how everybody basically just picks Gmail. I am not a Gmail user myself. And there is definitely a large number of people who don't just use that. So so that system is not necessarily centralized itself. So I know there's doomsayers who, who say that, you know, email has become centralized in Gmail. I don't actually think that's true. But anyway, back on the main point, you pick a server and then you sign up like you sign up on any other website ever. It's it's very simple, really. You pick a username, uh, you've got your new account, you get a little tutorial screen with a cute elephant on it that explains here is your complete username. It includes the username that you picked and the server that you picked. It's essentially just like an email address, and that's what you show your friends. That's the only difference. When when you're on Twitter, you say, I am Gargron on Twitter. When you say when you're in Mastodon, you say I'm Gargron at Mastodon.social because that's the server I'm on. But so to be clear, when you connect to Twitter, you don't have a server you're connecting to because you're signing up on Twitter's back end, which is a collection of a bunch of different servers that Twitter is managing and hosting. There is a line of separation here where it doesn't make sense to view them uh, under a similar... They're not on on, on the same level of abstraction, right? So when you sign up on Twitter, Twitter twitter.com is like the server that you pick, essentially, in in the terms that we're we're talking in. Of course, in the background, Twitter is hosted on thousands of of machines in various data data centers, etc. But that's the different level of of abstraction. Now, when you sign up on Mastodon.social, Mastodon.social is your server. And again, in the background, it runs on a couple different machines, right? But the difference is that Mastodon.social is just one of the servers that you could pick. You could pick Octodon.social, you could pick Toot.cafe, something like that. You know, it, there's there's over 2,000 of them, and I can't list them all. But the, the way that they are run individually can be very different and can go very much in-depth, multiple data centers, et cetera, depending on, on, on what you're talking about. But the main difference is that there are many, and, and you, you have this, this top-level separation. So uh, an imperfect analogy would be that we all set up separate Slack teams to have our different companies with our own Slack conversations going on in them. Of course, this is an imperfect analogy because Slack is all centrally hosted once yes, again. Exactly. So imagine imagine you you have all these Slack rooms or channels or perhaps discord servers may, may be more familiar to some people or perhaps you may think of subreddits but imagine that each subreddit or each discord server or each slack room was actually completely independently hosted and operated but at the same time that you could still talk to all the people in those channels rooms servers subreddits or whatever with your account Right. Users can host their own instances of Mastodon, or you could connect to somebody else's instance and create your account on somebody else's instance. And you can discover people within that instance, the instance that you created your account on or logged in on. But you can also discover people within other instances. So there is a way of connecting these different instances to one another. So you get that global Twitter-style experience that makes Twitter so magical. Can you describe the model of interaction there? How are these different servers, how are these different instances of Mastodon connecting to one another? 
it is a subscription-based model, essentially. You've got all these different actors on different servers, and the, the basic idea of, of Mastodon is that you follow each other. So you have a following relationship. As soon as you have a following relationship, the server where the content originates from, uh, sorry, originates from, sends that content to the servers of the followers, right? And that's how content mainly travels over the network. There's additional ways that content spreads through the network, such as boosting, which is our term for retweeting, essentially, or reblogging. There, there's other ways, such as, you know, there's, there's ways that we pull down data instead of pushing it when we want to um, just sort of get more context on something. For example, if you're following somebody and they respond to somebody else, your server fetches that conversation. So when you click on it, you see the full thing and not just that one response, right? And at the same time, when somebody responds to somebody you follow, that response is also forwarded to their followers. So when you open the conversation, it's it's full, you know? So, so those are the main ways that content travels through the network. Now, that's there are various different terms uh, when we're talking about decentralization, right? So so there's there's different abstraction layers, such as, as you mentioned, Twitter itself is hosted on different data centers and machines. So within that framework, it is decentralized, but it's also a single service operated by a single company. So it is centralized. Now, Mastodon is decentralized as a federated network. That means th- there's a difference between that and, for example, a, a distributed network where for example, I would say that the, the blockchain is a distributed concept because you've got essentially the same data, but stored on different nodes, right? But on Mastodon, it's not the same data that's stored on, on different nodes. Every node stores its own data, and then they exchange that data, but you don't have to contain the entire network if you don't want to, right? It's, it's all based on what the users actually do, who they follow. So... Every Mastodon server can set up their own rules around what's allowed. And so rather than having this global policy that's set by a single organization like like Twitter, you can have a variety of communities with different policies, and all of these communities can interact with one another through this federated model, as you described. Can you explain that term federation in a little more detail? Because I think this is the key idea here, that this is a federated social network. I think we should define that term federation. Okay. So I don't think I can give you the textbook definition if you're asking for that, but federation... Oh, that's is, fine. Is, is, no, is I, not, no, I'm, is, I'm, is I'm not, giving... It's is quite a simple concept. It's just you have nodes that can operate completely standalone, right? Imagine like countries in the European Union. They could continue to operate completely independently of each other. If, if, if all countries but one disappeared, that country could still go on. And the same is true for Mastodon servers. If all other servers didn't exist, the one servers that you have would still be able to go on. The way this is different from, from a collection of centralized services is simply that there is a, a protocol of interoperability between those. So for example, like in the European Union, there, there are institutions and, and laws that, that are compatible between the countries and that allow, let's say, free travel between them, right? So this, the same is true for Mastodon. There is an API that allows people to follow each other from different nodes and for content to reach one node from the other when it needs to. And once these nodes are set up, 
they're initially disconnected. What's the process of them discovering one another? If because I imagine if there was some index of the different nodes, that would arguably be a point of centralization. But maybe it's not so troublesome just to have an index as the point of centralization. So how do these different nodes, these different private social networks, how do they discover each other so that connections can be formed between the different federated divisions? We do not actually have a centralized index, exactly for the reason that it would be a centralized service. Now, of course, that's kind of a hard problem. When you're starting a new server and you don't know anybody, it can be pretty empty unless you have a local community that is ready to just start using it, right? And then you still got the problem that it's pretty disconnected from the rest of the network. So the advice that I give to new people is do not start a new server until you've made an account on an existing one and sort of got a feeling for who you want to follow. And and basically you join an existing server that it, that has a large active community and that has uh, already discovered various other servers. And then you find people that you want to follow and then you can export that list of people to follow. And when you start your new server, you import that and then you kind of bootstrap you know, the, the connections to the other servers. And the, the way we mainly rely on organic discovery. So when people share content from each other, when people talk to each other, as I previously mentioned, we pull down some content when, when, it, when it's in conversations and when it's shared. So that's how more content is discovered. And as people see that content and they follow more people, more subscriptions are created. And so it becomes more and more interconnected. That's how it works. When I'm using the internet, typically, if I'm going to a site that I, somebody, you know, all the time in in conversation over coffee, somebody will tell me, oh, have you checked out IndieHackers.com or have you checked out Wikipedia.com? And I'll be like, oh, no, I have not. I will, I will check that out. And similarly, if I was running my own Mastodon node and somebody told me in person, hey, have you followed have you followed Gargaron? He's this awesome guy. He's on Mastodon.social. And I might say, well, you know, I've got my own Mastodon node and I don't follow people in other nodes. But if you're telling me that this person on Mastodon.social is worth following, I'll go reach out to his federated node and I will follow him so that now I will be subscribed to the activity that takes place on that node that is created by Gargaron. Exactly. So yeah. how resource intensive is it to run a Mastodon node? And, and how many people do you have setting up their own nodes to run them? Well, the bane of our existence is kind of Webpack, actually. If you remove Webpack from the from the equation, Webpack is, is a tool that's used to compile JavaScript and CSS assets. And it is used only during setup or upgrades only one time. But it consumes so much memory that people complain constantly about how resource hungry it is. If you remove that from the equation, Mastodon does not require a lot of resources and it could run on a $5 node from DigitalOcean or or your host of choice. Essentially, you just you just need like one CPU and one or two gigabytes of RAM and you're good to go. Of course, if you want to host more and more people, you'll need more and more resources. Can't get around that. 
And what's the scalability story there? So like if if I started a so like let's say I start a Mastodon node, I start mastodon.jeff and mastodon.jeff starts with just me and a couple people I know that are in my apartment building and we all tell all of our friends to come join mastodon.jeff everybody else joins it you know we so we start to get 1000 people on my node and it's starting to get a little too resource intensive how does the node scale can or can i scale a node yes. or just does somebody else yes, have absolutely. okay you can't scale it mastodon is a ruby on rails application and luckily a lot of big companies run Ruby on Rails applications, there is a lot of documentation on how to scale that, how to run such applications. Essentially, it scales horizontally. You can just keep adding uh, app servers that run the, the code. It's split in basically three processes. There is a streaming API process, which is coded in Node.js. There is a sidekick process, which is background jobs. And there is the web process that serves web requests. And so you can you can individ- individually add more and more of those processes and the one bottleneck of the whole thing is the database. So so if if the database is is getting close to to being maxed out in, on usage you have kind of no choice but to buy a, a, a more a more resourceful server for the database. But but beyond that load balancing between app servers that's how it's done. Database, by the way, is another thing that a centralized service like Twitter is going to take care of for me. I don't have to worry about backing up my my tweets because Twitter has many, many backups of my tweets. Whereas if I was running my own Mastodon node on my laptop, if my node fails... I'm guessing that I'm going to lose all of my Mastodon toots. That's the, the terminology for a Mastodon message. Is that right? Or is there any sort of backup model where peers are are sharing toots and there's some durability, some distributed durability built in? On one hand, there is. On the other hand, there isn't. It depends on what you want from it. So every server where you're followed from obviously stores a copy of your tweets. So if you disappear overnight because you didn't keep your backups, the people in those servers are still going to be able to read the content that they've received previously. And if you, for example, get in touch with the admin of that server, you could, with some effort, copy over those tweets back into your own database and restore it somewhat. I don't think it would be perfect, well, it, it, at least it would take a lot of effort to, to, to do that. But on the other hand, if, you, if you're not keeping backups on your own node, if you lose it, you lose it. So if somebody is subscribed to me, their node is pulling off all of my toots, or is it only the most recent 30 or 50? Well, currently it's not pulling down anything at the moment of when you're followed. It just receives the new ones that are pushed. But in the future, basically we didn't implement this exactly because it was not clear whether we should fetch down 50, 30, 1,000 or all of them because it's it's such a bike-shedding issue that don't really want to touch it. And it's not really, it's not really a big deal because... Most of the time, the way this this thing works and the way it works organically is that 
most of the time when you when you find a new person you want to follow, somebody else has followed them from your server. So you already have some backlog of, of content you can that you can see. And in the case that it's that that is not the case, when, when you find somebody completely new, well, it's it's not such a big deal either. You just click on their profile to open the public view and on that you can see everything. That makes sense. I am starting to grasp the benefits of this federated model and the elegance of it. It sounds like something that works beautifully and at scale and with enough people running node setups that are built with some minor tweaks for scalability, like you said, load balancers and horizontal auto-scaling setup. This seems like a very durable system. The one thing... I'm curious about is the fact that in the different decentralized systems that we've covered on this show, which are numerous, we've covered Bitcoin and Ethereum and Scuttlebutt and IPFS, but in all of these systems, there is a pressure to centralize for convenience at various points in the system. And as you've already mentioned, it sounds like you are pretty vigilant about not centralizing because you don't have this central index, even of node addresses, which is, you have to be pretty vigilant to not include that kind of index in as a centralized source. But, you know, for example, if you if you want to scale Bitcoin transactions, you, you can just build a big off-chain system that would occasionally reconcile with the main Bitcoin chain, this is the whole Lightning Network idea. But the more transactions that you put in that off-chain system, the less decentralized Bitcoin actually becomes. So that's just one example of how centralization is... There's always these pressures towards becoming centralized off of these beautiful decentralized systems that are unfortunately not so scalable. It seems like Mastodon maybe doesn't have that problem so much because Mastodon is, this, the, the, the model is a little bit more scalable, it seems. Are there any pressures that pull you towards centralizing parts of Mastodon? Not me personally on the software level, but there is, of course, the social problem that people tend to join bigger servers. Uh, this is the case, for example, as at the start of the podcast, I mentioned Gmail uh, as an example for the centralization pressures of the email system. And people do flock to bigger servers on Mastodon as well. So Mastodon.social, Octodon.social, Pavu.net, they tend to grow and they tend to have much more users than the other ones. But on the software level, no. I'm not currently thinking about any centralized features or anything. And I'm pretty, as you said, vigilant about, about not putting that in. I think that the federated model is very scalable, scalable indeed. As you mentioned, as I mentioned as well, the Bitcoin thing, where there is one central piece of data, essentially, that is distributed between the nodes. It means when that central piece of data grows, when more people use Bitcoin and more and more transactions get added to the blockchain. Everybody has to download that. Everybody has to keep a copy of that. And it grows and grows and grows at a faster pace. On Mastodon, the, each node grows separately and only according to the needs of the people actually using it based on those subscriptions that they perform. I think that's, that's a little bit more future-proof. I mean, I could see this issue of the history becoming 
kind of a scalability issue that could lead to pressures on centralization, right? Because if you have a, a large log of people that are sending lots and lots of toots, and they want those toots retained and durable and persistent and censorship resistant over time, Mastodon starts to look more and more like a blockchain. And you throw in multimedia things like video that are really high bandwidth and I mean, could you foresee that becoming more of an issue? I can't really say that. I mean, I had those worries when we were just starting. And at this point, it's still fine. So I don't know. As I said, the nodes grow according to the needs of the of the, of the users on those nodes. And I can't think of anything more more elegant and more scalable than that because where where else you, you you're going to go like no notes or no nothing like you know i just don't see anything else that 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 could be even even more scalable than that you know that that's a fair point and this is kind of like it's not exactly like i'm i'm just thinking of it comparing it to the bitcoin blockchain and maybe that's not even the best comparison i should be making but in bitcoin it really matters that everybody is playing against the same system of record because I wouldn't want somebody on another Bitcoin node to be able to create a transaction out of thin air that I don't support because it you know it's it is a creation of money that should not have been created and is not backed by a proof of work. But on Mastodon, it's not such a big deal if somebody creates a new toot or if somebody removes all of their toots from history and nobody else had a backup and they were willing to remove all their toots from history not exactly the same system yes indeed it's also the difference is bitcoin is immutable the the, the blockchain is immutable so everything that happens it gets added on and on and on mastodon does not have the same thing nothing has to be immutable you can't remove stuff and i think that's actually really important for a social network because People are going to post stuff that you would want to remove, and not being able to remove it is is going to be a huge problem for for any social network that wants to use the blockchain as as the basis. Also, back to storage requirements, just the fact that you can clear out the cache essentially of other of content from other nodes uh, just to minimize the the your requirements. So you you can indeed only store the things that your own users post. That that is also possible. On some social networks, there's this blue check mark that allows people to identify as being famous, or it's at least this authentication mechanism, this proof of authority. Does Mastodon have any kind of blue check mark? No, people could use the green check mark emoji and put that into their name, but it's uh, <laughs> no, it doesn't really serve <laughs> the same purpose. There is a complexity in implementing something like that in a decentralized system, a verification, because that would essentially have to be a central authority of some sort that, you know, you show them your password and they sort of uh, confirm that you are the, the, the person you, 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 you say that you are. And on one hand, I can see that being valuable because impersonation is an issue. On the other hand, Email doesn't have verification either, and people have managed so far. So it's 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 a bit of a paradigm shift back from 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 networks like Twitter, where you do have that check mark to rely on. But you know, people just have to treat usernames like you know like email addresses in that 
if it's from a different server, that's not the same address. So yeah. And I think there are other issues with the check marks too, like the feeling of importance that comes with it, the feeling of authority and endorsement, which is not necessarily warranted. So yeah. Well, and, and the ability of the the ability of the platform to remove the blue check mark and it's almost like a scarlet letter has been placed on you and once you get de authenticated by by a platform. It's just a strange power for the platform to have. It is strange only because there there was confusion about what it really means. Because I mean, if people perceive the blue check mark as endorsement by Twitter, then they can take it away. But if it's supposed to mean that the person is who they say they are, then taking it away makes no sense. At the same time, the Twitter really messed this up because they give extra tools and extra features to people who have the check mark. So it is not just uh, you saying who you think you are. It's it's also benefits. So it's a mess. It's a mess. I, I don't want that on Mastodon. Have you looked at Keybase at all? Yes, I have. I think that's a good alternative or uh, a temporary solution if there ever is going to be a permanent one for verifying. And many people use it that way. You essentially just have to sign some text and post it as a toot, and that's your verification. You can really claim that your profile is yours. It'd be nice if Keybase actually implemented a real integration with Mastodon that did not require people to manually post anything, but but it works. I think they would love to do that. They've just got a a long roadmap, and I, I like what Keybase is doing. I think it's I think it's something that's pretty innovative, and I think it's it's needed. So, if a government wanted to censor Mastodon, could they do that? What would they do? How much censorship latitude do they have? Essentially, they would have to. I mean, it depends. Do they want to censor all of Mastodon or a single node? I think they wouldn't have a problem censoring a single node because you just block the domain address of that particular node. Or maybe you, I don't know, if you control the the host where it's hosted, you can just take it down. But if you want to block the entire Mastodon network, I don't think that would be possible because they're it's, the network is is large and it is sparse, and that means you would need to crawl it to find all the instances, and you would still not find all of them because there could be just completely separated, disconnected bubbles that are, you know, like private Mastodon instances or like that completely separate, you know. People use different social networks in different ways. I use Twitter differently than I use Facebook or Quora. How do people use Mastodon? Well, as I said, I was a power user of Twitter. So when I made Mastodon, it sort of filled that niche for me. So it's it's very close in use to Twitter. There are minor differences there uh, because there are the system for posting is a little bit more rich. You can set the privacy granularly rather than setting your entire account to locked. You could just post an individual message uh, to your followers or or public. And uh, there are content warnings, for example, for spoilers. And there are ways to hide images individually rather than marking your entire account is not safe for work. These small differences and 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 many other small des- design decisions sort of influence the way people use Mastodon subtly. 
I mean, it's it's a large network, and I don't follow anybody. Uh, I don't follow everyone, but from the people that I know, from that social bubble that surrounds me, I know that people talk less about news, and when they do, they use content warnings to warn that it's going to be about news because people really tired of that and don't want to interact with that sort of content normally. Really? So so news is not the focus? Because news has become like the de facto focus of Twitter and Facebook. It's almost like, you know, new, I, I guess Facebook has been trying to push things towards back to personal content, whatever that means. But I, I don't even think anybody, well, not many people are using Facebook for, for, for updates on new stuff now. But certainly Twitter. People are using Twitter to see the news all the time. So what would, I don't even know what I would be tweeting about if it wasn't centered around the news. Yeah, that's that's weird, isn't it? Yeah, on Mastodon, people don't talk about news as much. Certainly not political news. People do sometimes post tech articles and stuff. Again, that's within my bubble. My bubble is a bit more technical and, you know, it's, I, I can't guarantee that that's the same for all of Mastodon, which is like more than a million users nowadays. But yeah, people post less about news and it's, it's a lot more personal. People do post just personal updates, what they're doing, and there is a lot less celebrity culture. Like on Twitter, you are from the start encouraged to follow famous people and there are and you're encouraged to to become a celebrity or to act in a way that would manifest yourself into some sort of strange celebrity, even if it's just within your own social network. Indeed. And the checkmark thing that gives you extra features also contributes to that. So there, there's like two classes of people on Twitter, the famous ones that have the extra features and the normal ones that have to follow the famous ones. On Mastodon, there is no celebrity culture. Everybody is sort of the same in, in, in terms of, of, you know, everybody gets the same features, essentially, because there's no check mark. People, I don't know, people don't appreciate celebrities just for being celebrities, I guess. People prefer to just find people who post interesting content and people they like to talk to. There is a lot of talking to each other on Mastodon, a lot more than on Twitter. Uh, I've been told multiple times that uh, people say, I get a lot more engagements on Mastodon than I ever did on Twitter. People just talk to each other. Social networks often have a spam problem. Does Mastodon have any kind of spam problems and how do they deal with it? There we go back to the federated model. So each server is operated independently, can implement its own rules. And the side effect of that, or, or maybe not the side effect, but the, the cause of that is obviously that it's operated by different people. Those people are the administrators, moderators. So each server has their own team of admins and mods ready to respond to the needs of the users on their particular instance. What this means in practice is that, for example, in a company like Twitter, you, you got you get these billion billions of users and a team of customer support sitting somewhere, I don't know, 20, 30, 100 people. On Mastodon, you have maybe a thousand or, or like 10,000 people for like five mods or something like that. You know, the, the ratio is a lot higher. So it's a lot easier for, for those local mods to enforce policies, to keep spam out, to keep harassment out, because there's just it's, the, the, it's just a lot more manageable. And you know, the perverse thing about spam on Twitter that does not get talked about a lot is Twitter has some incentive to leave spammers and bots 
on their platform because those spammers and bots consume ads. Absolutely. It's on multiple levels, actually. They consume ads and they prop up their stats. And Twitter is a publicly traded company with shareholders, so they need their quarterly reports to look yeah. good. The more activity, the better it is for them. So on Mastodon, you don't have that incentive. If somebody is spamming, yeah, your stats look higher, but they're also spamming your server resources. And they're also like... they're. Uh, they're they're spoiling the community essentially. They're making it less friendly, less uh, interesting to the people, to the real people there. So there is no incentive to keep spam around. We just ban that. That's great. What about mobile clients? Do you have mobile clients for Mastodon? Absolutely. I really didn't like when Twitter closed down their API for third party clients uh, and made it practically impossible to have non official. Clients. So when I made Mastodon, I made it my my goal to make one API that is the same for all apps, including the ones that I make. So the web UI you see when you log on to Mastodon is using the same API that any other app could use. And so there is a rich ecosystem of, of various third-party apps. There are no official apps because there is no such thing as an official app in this in this context. For for every platform, essentially, if you Google, uh, if you, if you search for Mastodon on Google Play Store, on on the App Store, anywhere, you will find a multitude of of applications that allow you to browse Mastodon. Mm. So this is Software Engineering Daily. We should talk some about the software stack of Mastodon. We've covered the contours of it so far. It's a Ruby on Rails application. I believe that the front end is in React JS. And beyond that, I don't have a good understanding, except for the server architecture. Maybe you could talk about what are the more interesting aspects of Mastodon? What are the areas of technical debt that you're most focused on? What are the, what are the unique technical challenges of Mastodon? I think the most unique technical challenge is just the fact that when you release new features, you have to make sure that they work on a variety of different setups and that they work with each other when you cannot guarantee that the same version is rolled out everywhere at the same time, because every admin is going to take a different amount of time to upgrade eventually. This is especially important when you want to push out protocol changes for the federation itself. So far, we've been managing fine. It just involves introducing features gradually and sometimes introducing the support for the receiving end before you release the thing that actually allows end users to use that feature. Uh, so, so when that version comes out, every, most everybody has upgraded already, so it works. I think that's the most unique challenge probably because other apps don't have to deal with that. When I suppose you've got all these people running their own nodes, you have to have some sort of enforcement for them up, updating their nodes, or you you have to make the protocol remain back compatible with the old node software. Yeah, it's always back compatible. There was actually a, a huge feat that we accomplished and I'm really proud of last year, sometime around... August or something like that, when we switched from one federation protocol to the other in the entire network. Uh, Mastodon started out as uh, an OStatus server. OStatus was the original federation protocol developed in 2012, but it's a little bit outdated. It is lacking uh, a lot of features that people were requesting. 
it uses XML. It's just, it's, it's, it's really outdated. And ironically, it's never left the draft stage as a standard. So it's never become an actual standard. So at some point we decided that we want to switch to something more future-proof and more up-to-date. And so the uh, activity pub standard was proposed. It, it wasn't a draft stage when we started implementing it because we would have been the first software to implement it. And, and we helped shape how that protocol is, is designed throughout the implementation. We were giving feedback to the team that was, that was designing the protocol at the W3C. Eventually, it became an actual recommended standard, standard by the W3C. And so, yeah, so the feat was that we switched the protocol for the entire network and nothing broke. I think, I think that's pretty cool. We're still somewhat compatible with those status, but Mastodon servers talk to each other over ActivityPub nowadays. So I can tell that you're a thoughtful guy and you've put a ton of work into this project and it's very much a labor of love. This is not a, an enterprise with a, uh, a billion dollar outcome anywhere in the foreseeable future. And so I, I kind of want to get a little bit softer in terms of these questions because I can tell you've got a broad thesis on social networks, humanity, socialization, the internet. So the world, our world today, we are still so segregated into different geographic populations. We have different cultures. It doesn't feel like the internet has blended us and globalized us that much yet. You look at Twitter, you can feel that there is something there that humans want to connect with each other and we want to break down these artificial barriers to some extent. But there are still these frictions. There are colloquialisms and differences of culture that separate us in ways that sometimes seem impenetrable. What do you think that we're going to see in the next 10 or 20 years? How is the internet going to affect us as an international community? I do not think that I am qualified to answer that question at all. I'm sorry. I cannot predict what social developments there will be in society. Are you are you optimistic? I mean, given your time in working on Mastodon, like you are, it seems like you are, or maybe you're just not, do you not have some kind of deterministic outcome in mind? Are you just building tools that you think will be useful to people? Or do you have a, a, a mission? Do you have a vision for what you would like to see? I do have a vision, but it is kind of on a different level than what you're asking me about right now. I, I can't really predict I can't really say how humanity is going to change and how they're going to treat each other in terms of separate groups. What what my my concerns are are a little bit more more practical and down to earth. There is a future where uh, basically the internet becomes one single website like facebook.com and there is no escape from ads, there is no escape from tracking. They control everything. They make money of every movement that you do. That's not a feature. That's not a future that I want. I want a future where the web is free and open, where everything is operated independently and still talks to each other. I want people in in, in Germany to have uh, servers that 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 operate in Germany, and I want people in France to have servers that operate in France and are not dependent on uh, on a company in the United States 
that enforces United States laws across the entire globe. You know, that, that's that, that's kind of what the, the things that I'm thinking about. Do you see any sort of intersection between the Mastodon technology and the suite of technologies coming out of the Ethereum project or IPFS or Gollum or any of these other decentralized computation and storage platforms? These questions are getting more common. I've heard uh, questions like, are you going to integrate a blockchain into Mastodon like a lot in the past half a year, I think. I don't really think that there is a need for a blockchain in, in Mastodon. And at the same time, I'm curious what other project, projects are going to bring to the table. I've been looking at the DAT protocol because I remember it has a, a social network project running Wasn't on top the, of it. The DAT protocol? Yes. I think Scuttlebutt may actually be running on that, if I remember okay. correctly. There, there are other ones. There are ones based on IPFS. And there are people who, who uh, propose that uh, media storage of Mastodon should be based on I, IPFS. I don't think... I don't think it's quite time to talk about that yet because it's it's a little bit untested technology and, and the integration is a little bit untested as well. You certainly cannot get more storage magically out of using IPFS because you know the way it operates, it's still there are still nodes that pin the content and that's basically your server and the others simply cache it. So it's kind of the same as what we're doing right now, except less obvious like that. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I, I certainly realize that projects that use peer-to-peer technologies or the blockchain have their limitations that I think they have not solved yet. For example, the, the problem of moderation in a peer-to-peer network. Uh, in a peer-to-peer network, you essentially are on your own and you're going to have to encounter all the spam, all the bad content, uh, all the harassment on your own. On Mastodon, you have your admins that would solve that for you. You have your community of, of your neighbors on the same node who would report spam and bad con and, and, and there's this communal way of solving it that you wouldn't have in a peer-to-peer network. And with blockchain, you have the issue that you cannot... Sorry, sorry, I'll, I'll let you talk in like a second. No, go ahead. In blockchain, you have the problem that you cannot delete content. And for example, I heard recently there was a, a news story in The Guardian that child abuse images were encoded in the blockchain, which essentially makes in the Bitcoin blockchain, which essentially makes downloading the blockchain illegal uh, yes. in most countries. So, so yeah, I, I think I think for now, I believe in Mastodon uh, in my own project, and I think it's the, the best solution right now. But it's it's not the end of everything. And one nice little detail about Mastodon and using ActivityPub, uh, the, the the standard protocol, is that. Anybody can write server software that interacts with Mastodon becomes part of that network. There are, in fact, servers that are not Mastodon that are part of, of, the, of the social network. There's one called Pleroma. There is one called Krog. There are various different ones being worked on right now, uh, such as Rustodone, which is, which is <laughs> a play on the programming language Rust, which it's written on, and Mastodon. So yeah, so, so eventually, I'm sure... A software can come along that is much better than Mastodon, and it will pick up right where we left off. It will integrate with Mastodon, and nobody will have to switch again and bring all their friends over. That's 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 the point I'm making. Uh, agreed with with all that. You know, one direct application I could potentially see would be a censorship resistant node. If you wanted to set up a, a decentralized censorship resistant Mastodon node, you could probably do that 
on some some suite of blockchain technologies, and then you would be able to evade the censor the government censorship problem we talked about earlier. Yes, probably. It, yeah, maybe <laughs> vaporware. Okay, vaporware. At this point, that's why I like talking to you. It's not vaporware. I just I just spent a month talking to blockchain people, so I'm, I guess I'm uh, acclimated to vaporware. <laughs> Tell me more about vaporware. Tell me about your ICO. You don't. You are not having an ICO, by the way. For those who are um, who are wondering, just to conclude, and it's been a great interview. But you're you're working on this full time. Yes, I am. Okay, what's that experience been like? On one hand, it's paradise because I work at my own pace and I can work when I have inspiration. It's uh, the process is a lot like art to me. On the other hand, of course, I feel a lot of pressure to to work so as to not disappoint the people who pledge uh, in my crowdfunding. So mostly I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's really nice. So, I mean, I kind of feel the same way about this podcast because I get to do it when I want to. But on the other hand, one thing I don't like is the isolation. Do you have do you have uh, is- any issues with just like sitting at home and the ir- irony of, of reaching millions of people while simultaneously working in an isolated fashion? I'm a bit of an introvert by nature, so it's not much of a problem for me. Although I'll admit, I don't go out that much uh (laughs) there's another there's another level of isolation that is different to that it's that not that many people lead the same lifestyle not the same people work for themselves uh, like self-employed on own project not many people can afford have the luxury of being crowdfunded to be able to work full-time on something that they love so a lot of my friends just you know don't have the same problems and not not the same experiences so there is that sort of a little bit of isolation there i hear you okay uh last question have you talked to anybody at twitter or facebook or the other centralized social networks have you gotten any feedback from those places on what they think about mastodon i think they like to pretend that we don't exist or did you mean users or did you mean like somebody involved in Twitter and Facebook? S- somebody involved, like executives. Like I'm no, imagining. absolutely not. They do pretend like we don't exist. Uh, Weird. They, huh. I think they're hoping that will go away if they just close their eyes. All right. Well, let's hope that doesn't happen. Mastodon is an awesome project and I'm really impressed with it. I'm uh, impressed by your ambition and your humility as well. So, Eugen, thanks for coming on Software Engineering Daily. It's been fantastic talking to you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Thank you. It was a nice interview. 